Good morning, I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and I want to wish you an early Merry Christmas. This is a time of sharing the story and telling stories, and I don't know about you, but I love a good story. And that Christmas is the, one of the greatest stories of all because it's intertwined with God's story of redemption in Christ. You know, a good story is like a tapestry. You have uh, people and you have places, you have experiences and you've got events, and they're all different fabrics and they're all coming together in a way that uh, draws you into the story. But you, um, you may be watching the story on screen, you may be reading it in a book, but you're kind of wondering what what is this author or this producer doing here? These unrelated people, these unrelated events, how are they all going to come together? And they're woven into the story. Sometimes it begins with people and you say, I don't see where this scene connects with this scene or this person's going to connect with this person or how is this event going to intertwine with that event? And it seems unlikely until all of a sudden at the end, all of the fabric comes together, and you see the tapestry, you see the story, and that's the work of a master storyteller. By the end of the story, all of it comes together, and you see the pattern. You see why those people are in the story. Our, our youngest daughter, Rachel, not only enjoys literature, but she also enjoys tapestry, and I just want to show you some pictures. Uh, this is actually her, um, uh, her loom that is in her home, and uh, to show the picture up there, that is her loom. And then the next picture shows all the different threads that she's attached to that. And they all seem to be just different colors. There's no pattern yet that's established. But in the next scene, you actually see the tapestry. You see it coming together. And great stories are like that, friends. Great stories are a tapestry. Charles Dickens, one of the great storytellers of uh, the British literature, wrote the story um, Christmas Carol. You probably have seen it or you may have read it. And, and in that story, Ebenezer Scrooge is the, he's kind of the prototype Grinch. Um, he's just a miserable guy. He's grumpy and he's tight-fisted. And he gets visited by three um, ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future. And you're wondering what all is happening until the story unfolds and you see the tragedy that his life was and why he was such a miserable person. But by the end of the story, this greedy man becomes generous and this miserable man becomes joyful and his life is transformed in the tapestry of that story. Dickens also wrote another story called The Tale of Two Cities, the city of London and the city of Paris during the French Revolution in that horrible time. And that story, there's a whole lot of threads at the beginning. I remember reading it and saying, what has this got to do with this? What does this person have to do with that person? What is this event? How does it all tie together? But at the end of The Tale of Two Cities, it's a story of redemption where one man is going to lay down his life as a substitute for another man and die. But you know, there's an even greater story, and that is the story of Jesus Christ and the story of what he's done. The tapestry of this story begins in the Garden of Eden when God makes a promise of a coming Redeemer. You have the scarlet strand of sacrifice that, that goes through the entire Old Testament all the way to the cross. You've got the purple um, of promises and prophecies of the coming Redeemer. And you've got the black thread of human sin and rebellion against God. And you've got the gold thread of the deity of Jesus, the Son of God. But friends, think about this. 
the God who breathed into the nostrils of Adam, making him a living soul, as an infant baby breathes his first breath on earth. What a miracle. What an incredible story. And in that story, he, is a, he also is the good shepherd in the Bible. But he is born with shepherds and sheep around him, and he's born into a manger where you'd expect a, a lamb to be born. He is surrounded. He is the Messiah King who had wise men from modern Iraq coming to worship him on a long journey. But the scribes and the people who knew where he should be born in Jerusalem never came the few miles to Bethlehem. And it's part of the story. It's part of this incredible fabric of the story. And so you have shepherds and wise men and a carpenter and his wife. And here they found their threads intertwined and their lives would never be the same. And neither is yours and neither is mine when we encounter Jesus Christ and understand why it is that he came. See, friends, when the story of Jesus' salvation becomes your story of transformation, you can never be the same. And that is the ultimate message of what Christmas is about. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, the passage that our friend Steve Nichols did such a great job reading. I want you to look at it again and afresh. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, Paul wrote in his intertwining in the, this beautiful tapestry of this text of his story in the story of Jesus. He said, I thank him who's given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The tapestry of this story is about salvation in Jesus. I want you to notice as we zoom in on verse 15, where Paul says, this saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That is the story of what Christmas is all about. That's a story of salvation in Jesus. And Paul says, this is a faithful saying. It is a worthy saying to be able to believe and to be able to embrace. It's worthy of full acceptance. Why? Because in the library of the Bible with 66 books, every book points to Jesus. Every book points to what he was going to come to do. It's a scarlet strand that's in Abraham offering up Isaac as a picture of what the father would do in offering up his son. It's a story of Noah in his first experience of boat building that was actually going to save his family. It's a story of the blood of the Passover on slave huts in Egypt. It is a story of the prophecy of the cross in Isaiah's scroll. And this message, he said, is trustworthy, but it's worthy to be accepted and to be welcomed, to be embraced by faith in Jesus Christ. Friend, you have to personally embrace this message. 
in order to have his story become your story. And when that happens, it will transform you. And what's the pattern of the tapestry? Look at what he says again in verse 15. This, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ means Messiah. They just sang a wonderful song reminding us that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah. That speaks of him being the mediator between God and us. And as a mediator, he is the prophet who is the word of God and speaks the word of God. He is the priest who offered himself as the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice. And he is the king of kings who will rule nations like he ruled over creation. Jesus, that name means Savior of Jehovah. Joseph was told by the angel, call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And every time we speak the name Jesus, what we're really saying is Jesus Christ, this God-man, is the Savior provided by Jehovah to be able to make it possible for us to be saved. You see, this is the scarlet strand in the story of Zacchaeus. You remember the little guy who was on the outside looking, uh, looking in, who was up a tree without hope, and Jesus shows up at the bottom of the tree and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down, I need to go to your house. And then Jesus said, for the son, he says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Same thing that Paul's saying here. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. One day, some religious leaders were criticizing Jesus for being friendly with sinners. And Jesus just smiled and said, I wear that as a badge of honor. He said, as a matter of fact, let me tell you three stories. I'm going to tell you a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And the end of all the stories is the same. There's a celebration, there's a party. Because why? Jesus is the friend of sinners. He came on a, on a search and rescue mission for sinners. One day his disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. They'd been with Jesus for three and a half years and they still weren't getting it. They were debating who was the greatest. And Jesus says, listen, you got the wrong story. You're writing the wrong narrative. It's not about you, it's about me. And he said, listen, I'm the son of man, and I didn't come to be served, but to serve and catch this and give my life a ransom for many, Matthew 20, 28. In other words, the story, as Paul is saying here, is a story of redemption, a story of salvation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. My friends, I just want to tell you, if you think the story of Christmas is about a cute little baby in a manger and sweet little kids singing about it, you missed the message. The message is a message that actually was Jesus being born to save sinners. He was born to die. He was born to provide redemption. He came on a mission that we're told about right here. This story, and it's a central story of the Bible. But what happens when your story becomes his story? When the story of Jesus' salvation becomes your story of transformation, when the threads of your story find their, their expression when they're woven into the gospel, well, one of the things that will happen in this transformation story is Paul says that you will, you will, uh, it'll be a narrative of a changed life. Look at verse 13, what Paul said. He said, formerly, before I encountered Jesus, I was, and notice these three words, Blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent. Blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent. Blasphemer is a word that says he was a slanderer of Jesus. He degraded Jesus. He reproached 
the name of Jesus. In other words, he scorned the name of Christ, denying his deity, denying that he was the Son of God, denying that he was the Messiah. He slandered Jesus. He's also called a persecutor. A persecutor is someone who is pursuing other people to do them harm. He was hunting down Christians and arresting them. We first encounter Saul of Tarsus at, at the end of Acts chapter 7 when he had the first martyr in the church, Stephen, and a young man named Saul is holding the garments of the people, in other words, officiating over his capital punishment, his death. And in Acts chapter 8, we're told that, that he was, he was overseeing the martyrdom of Stephen. A little later in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, He ravaged the church, entered their homes, dragging both men and women off to prison to await their sentencing. Matter of fact, Paul was on his way to Damascus with letters in hand from the high priest to arrest any Christians he found there in what we call modern-day Syria in Damascus and to bring them back to Jerusalem to be tried and to be sentenced. He was on his way there when he encountered Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, Jesus was going to change everything. His was the narrative of a changed life. Matter of fact, Paul talked about himself as a sinner. And he said, listen, verse 15, I am the foremost of sinners. In other words, I am an example of the chief of sinners. I'm ranking above the rest. I'm worse. He said, I'm as bad as I could have been. I was reproaching. I was persecuting. I was insolent. I was insolent against Jesus. Insolent means one who was insultingly offensive or arrogantly disrespectful, outrageously violent. That's what Paul's saying he was. Oh, by the way, you can't encounter Jesus until you admit that you need Jesus. That is until you admit that you're a sinner. And see, that's the problem. You can't come to Jesus with prideful religion and self-righteousness. You can't come that way. You'll never encounter Jesus until you're willing to humble yourself and acknowledge your sin. Now, you may not say with Paul, listen, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and I was insolent. Maybe the label that you have to wear is saying, I was prideful. I was covetous. I was bitter. I was unforgiving. I was self-righteous. I was lustful. Whatever it was, friends whatever it is in your life. But we have to own our sin in order to really be part of the story. If your story is going to be woven with his story, you have to acknowledge that you need him. Think about this for a moment, please. If there was any other way for you to be delivered from your sin and its consequences, then the coming of Jesus means nothing. It means nothing. If you could have saved yourself by simply turning over a new leaf, by keeping the law, by keeping the, the golden rule, then Jesus didn't have to come and die. But there was no other way. And so acknowledging the, this need for transformation and the narrative of a changed life. But here's the good news. The story is also a story where the fabric is woven with mercy, grace, and love. Look at how Paul describes it in verse 13. I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And then he said, the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Again in verse 16, I received mercy. So Paul uses three words here. I received mercy, grace, and love. Three tremendous words that are woven into the fabric of this story. Mercy, 
grace and love. It's a, it's a story about mercy because the thread of mercy is woven into Jesus' story and your story. Because mercy means I deserve judgment, I deserve wrath, I deserved hell. My friend, don't, don't ever come to God and say, I want what I deserve. You don't want that. I promise you, you don't want that. Mercy means that Jesus took the judgment, took the wrath upon the cross so that God can now in Jesus show me mercy. And so the, the thread of mercy is woven into the story. He said it's also a, a thread of grace. Grace. Grace is God's provision for our brokenness and our need and our sin. It's God generously giving to us what we did not deserve. It's God, in the, the abundant kindness of his own character, saying, I'm going to meet you at the point of your need. I'm going to meet you at that point of your brokenness. And for Paul, grace became a major theme of his letters. He just loved the word grace because it's what he experienced. It became, in his letters, it became in his life, it became in his ministry, grace, the threat of grace. And then the threat of love. The, the threat of love, he said, faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Friends, I never understood what love was until I encountered Jesus Christ. For me, love was affection. Love was romance. Love was a certain feeling that I had. But I understood that in the Bible, when God talks about love, he's talking about something far deeper, far bolder. And that is God, God in, in taking the action of sacrifice to meet my need to take the action of sacrifice. So, so husbands, when the Bible says, love your wife like Christ loved the church, he's not just saying feel romantic towards her. He's using the same word where he's saying sacrifice yourself to meet her needs. That's what God calls us to do. When the Bible says we're to love one another, it's the same idea. And so love isn't first and foremost an emotion. Love is first and foremost an action of sacrifice. The emotion of love comes after the sacrifice, friends, not before. You can act your way into a, new of, a way of feeling, but you can't feel your way into a new way of acting. And the love of God in Christ wasn't simply a warm, fuzzy feeling he had towards us. It was the heroic moment in which Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for you. And that, my friends, defines love. That defines love. The threat of love. The Bible says this. Paul wrote it in Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is the ultimate expression of love. So, so mercy and grace and love overflow from the heart of God into the brokenness of our sin. Undeserved, unexpected, but freely given. Mercy, grace, and love. Mercy, grace, and love. They're woven into the fabric of this story. And your story then becomes the pattern for others. Look what Paul said. In verse 16, I received mercy for this reason. In other words, for this purpose. In other words, the intention of God in salvation wasn't just to deliver you, but to make you a pattern for others. That in me, as the foremost, that foremost of sinners he talked about in verse 15, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those that were going to believe for eternal life. So Paul says, listen, this is the purpose it's not just my, for my, my great need, but God's greater glory. And he said, I was this person who's this blaspheming, persecuting, insolent man, and he makes me an example to others. He makes me a pattern. The word pattern or example means a prototype, a model. Paul says, my conversion story is a model for other people's story. And in the same way, 
your story is to be a model for other people's story. So Paul's story becomes our story, and our story becomes a story for somebody else. That's what he's saying. It's a pattern. It's a model of the patience of God. The patience of God. Now, friends, I had no idea how impatient a person I was until I got married and then had kids. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm a much more impatient than I thought. And God's been working on me ever since. But you know what? It causes me to be amazed that in the tapestry of the story, the patience of God with sinners. Think about this. Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I look in the Old Testament. Some people in the Old Testament just see the harshness of God's judgment, but I see the patience of God with nations and with people. How patient God was with Job. How patient God was even with the nations that were around Israel that he said, I'm going to give you 400 years to repent while I park my people in Egypt. That's what he said in Genesis Genesis 15. So God is a patient God. And he said, this is put on display. This is put on display in a transformed life. And so patience is another one of these threads that's woven into Paul's transforming story. And his story is a pattern for our story. You know, every one of you that know Jesus in a personal way, that have experienced this transformation, you have a story. It doesn't matter whether you trusted him as a little child or you trusted him as an adult. And your story has three parts. The first part is what your life was like before you encountered Christ, your need, your brokenness, your sin. How it was that you encountered Christ in the gospel and how that good news was brought to your life. And then the transformation, the change that's been made in your life before, how it happened, and after. It's that simple, friends. And I want you to know that your story needs to be told. Other people need to hear your story. Why? Because Paul says here that they would believe in, in to him for eternal life. That is, that they would go from being spiritually dead, separated from God, to having now the vitality of a relationship with God, that they would have eternal life. Do you realize when we share our story with other people, God can actually use that to bring faith and eternal life to them. If there's ever a time when people in our culture are more responsive to hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ or receiving an invitation to say a Christmas Eve service, it's right now. We know that people are more responsive to spiritual conversations. They're more responsive to an invitation to church right now, more than any time of the year. So friends, this is a week where you need to be sharing your story with somebody, where you need to be praying and inviting others and, and so that they can encounter Jesus and have your story extend to their story, to share that story with somebody else. By the way, Paul did that. In Acts chapter 9, Luke tells the story of Paul's conversion In Acts 22, Paul tells his story. There's actually a riot in the temple grounds because he shows up. And so he's going up the stairs. He's he's all chained. And he goes up the stairs with some Roman soldiers and says, can I speak to the crowd? You know what he does? In Acts 22, he tells his story. In Acts 26, he's standing before King Agrippa. He's on trial for his life. And what does Paul do? In Acts 26, he tells a story. He tells a story in 1 Corinthians 15. He tells a story in Galatians 1, Galatians 2, Philippians 3, and here in 1 Timothy. In other words, when Paul wasn't quite sure what to do, he just told a story. You can do the same thing. Tell your story. Whenever I've asked somebody, can I tell you about the most important thing that ever happened in my life? I've never had a person say no. Never had a person say no. Why? Because we're all interested in stories. Friend, if you know Jesus, you've got a story. It's a story that needs to be shared. And then I want you to know your story brings praise to God. Look at verse 17. 
your story bring praise to God. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the story isn't about you. The story's about God. If, if your story is about you, friend, you've missed it. This story is about God's glory and God's praise. He's called the king of the ages. That's Jesus. He's king of kings. He is the emperor of the universe. He's the one who sits on the throne of heavens and will sit on the throne of all human government and all nations in his coming kingdom. He's the one who wore the crown of thorns so that he can wear the crown of all of humanity, and he deserves that. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He is the rock cut out without hands that will fill the earth with his kingdom. He is the king of the ages. He's also immortal, means he's imperishable and incorruptible. In other words, nobody can mess with God. He is immortal. And he's also invisible. You can't see God except in the incarnation of Jesus when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The image of the invisible God, Colossians calls him. So God became visible when Jesus was walking on earth. People saw God. When he spoke, it was God speaking. When he did miracles, it was God doing miracles. He is the invisible God. And he's the only God. In other words, every other God is a pretend God, an idol with eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear and a mouth that can't speak and hands that are powerless to do anything and feet that can't walk. They're fake gods. The, the gods of men's philosophies are fake gods. He's the only God. And it says to him be honor and glory forever. Honor most highly valued. Glory, the outraying of his majesty and splendor because of all that he is. So friends, at the end of your story, if people say, what a great story, that's not the message. It's what a great God. What a great God. Because friends, I'm reading the book of Revelation right now. And when you get to, the, to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, I was in chapter 4 this morning, where we see all the angels and millions of people surrounding the throne, and they're worshiping God and saying, God is worthy as creator. In Revelation chapter 5, which I'm looking forward to getting to tomorrow, he's the lamb of God in the midst of the throne, who alone is worthy to take the scroll. Why? Because he is the redeemer. And so in heaven, it's all for the glory of God. And friends, if you're making it all for your glory, you're going to be out of tune with heaven. You're going to be out of tune with heaven because they're up there and we need to be tuning up for singing the Messiah up there. We need to be tuning up for the hallelujah chorus up there. We need to be tuning up to be able to say, worthy is the lamb there because our story and his story woven together in that fabric. So how is the story of your life being written? How's the story of your life being written? Friend, if you, are, if you are center stage and the lights are on you, then you got the wrong story. You need to be backstage and the lights need to be on him because it's a story about his glory. It's what it's about. So who are you going to share your story with this Christmas? Who's the person you work with, live near, go to school with, have a relative, and you're saying, I'm going to reach out to them this week because they need to know this story that has transformed me. But if not, friend, there's no time like today for you to be able to say, you know what, the tapestry of my life isn't like that. The story of my life isn't like that. I need an encounter with Jesus that leaves me changed by his mercy and his grace and his love. And like Paul, you have to start by admitting your sin, acknowledging 
your brokenness and your sin and your rebellion against God. And maybe you're not going to say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a persecutor and a blasphemer and an insolent man. But every one of us has sin. Every one of us. And believe that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came into this world on a, on a search and rescue mission. That's why he came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose from the dead. And that's why you're here today, sitting under the preaching of the word of God or listening to it at home. And by faith, we welcome God's mercy. By faith, we welcome his grace. By faith, we welcome his love into our lives so that we can have a restored relationship to him. He made it possible for your sins to be forgiven and for them to be wiped away. You can't earn it, but Jesus paid the full price. It cost him everything. It cost you nothing. Then today, for some of you, could be the day when you say, I need to embrace the story for myself. Friend, it doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home, if you're baptized and a member of a church. It doesn't matter that you think you've been a Christian your whole life. If you have never had an encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed you, then friend, there's no time like the present. Christmas is a time of giving and receiving gifts, and the greatest gift that was ever given happened when God sent his son to be our savior. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Today, if you'd like to say, you know, I'd like to have somebody answer my questions and pray with me about this. Right back to my left over here, there's a little room. And I'm going to ask some of our elders to be available back there to pray with you and answer your questions. Anybody that's wearing a green lanyard would love to be able to talk to you and answer your questions or help you get that help. If today you don't have that confidence that Jesus' story of salvation has become your story and that you've been transformed by it, there is no time like today. Because friends, God wants to make your life a new tapestry. A tapestry of beauty for his glory. A tapestry that's no longer about your brokenness and your sin, but it's about his grace and his mercy and his love. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the story of salvation in Jesus. You looked into our brokenness and our sin. You saw our need, our desperation. And in the provisions of your mercy, grace, and love, you sent your son Jesus Christ to be our Redeemer. Father, I pray for every believer in this place that we may be intentional this week to invite others to come and sit under the sound of the gospel and to invite others into our homes, into our hearts, and to share our story with them. For those who have never yet repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ alone, even those that are listening in their home, or in the cars, or here in this place. Father, may this be the day, this day of salvation, where the story of the gospel becomes intertwined with the story of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.